Welcome to Resilience Unraveled. Hi everybody and welcome to Resilience Unraveled, a podcast that examines all aspects of personal and organisational resilience. A huge all-encompassing subject that covers the ability to thrive in life by harnessing your cognitive, emotional, physiological and contextual abilities. I share stories from people who have thrived despite remarkable obstacles, as well as highly successful practitioners and experts across a range of topics. And this podcast introduces their amazing stories and expertise, as well as my own reflections, perspectives, strategies and tips, which come from my own synthesis of themes and trends from wider learning. You can go to qedod.com forward slash extras to access offers, tools and resources, including free articles and ebooks. For those of you that would be interested in supporting our work and contributing more proactively, you can find our new Patreon page at patreon.com. Then search for Resilience Space Unraveled. So, let's get started. Enjoy the show. So today we're going to talk nutrition. And um, we're in the very safe hands of someone I'm very much looking forward to talking to. That's Mary Sheila Ganella. So good evening, Mary. Good morning, Russell. <laughs> well, I'm, de- I'm delighted to notice your accent, uh, accent and the fact that you're saying good morning and I'm saying good evening. So you're obviously up across the pond. Where in the world are you today, Mary Sheila? I am in Northern California, Sonoma County. Fantastic. You see, I'm already, I'm already, I'm there with you, excited, <laughs> thinking about oranges. Oh. Yeah, yeah. It's a citrus season in California for sure right now. Excellent. There's nothing. There's nothing better than the sort of smell of citrus and all that sort of stuff. And and I guess a great background to be able to um, to sort of practice the sort of nutritional arts. It does make it easy with the with the weather and the abundance of sort of I call I call where I live a bubble of just because there's so much mindfulness around food and nutrition and a lot of really great organic agriculture happening as well. Perfect. So why don't, you, um, why don't you kick off by telling us a little bit about yourself, Mary Sheila, and, how, and what you do and how you describe um, how you've got to where, to, to where you are today. Yeah. So I am a holistic nutritionist. I'm board certified holistic nutrition, and I've been at it for about over 12 years now. Um, I'd like to say sharing the good word of nutrition. I work with primarily health conscious people who are really ready to to change their ways because they know that their food or their lifestyle is contributing to their health conditions and they're ready to maybe go deeper than weight loss to reclaim their health so they could feel better and look and feel their best ultimately. And I, you know, most of us in this field too have had a journey that we've had to really own our food intake and our lifestyle and regain our health. And so, you know, that's, that's my story too, as far as just realizing that, you know, food became my medicine and then wanting to share that with the world. So I do a lot of work around blood sugar and diabetes and prediabetes. Um, and that to me is just such a foundational principle that, you know, the more that we know how to manage our blood sugar, it really allows the bodies, all the systems and all the other endocrine and hormonal glands to come into balance. And that's where we can find balance. And then we can find our vitality and 
you know, you talk a lot about resilience and really to be resilient to, you know, if we're in that place where the body has balance, yeah, things are going to happen. We're going to, whatever it is, stay up too late, indulge too much, or we get sick, but it's that ability to come back to balance because the body knows how to find that, that rhythm of all of our glandular system and all of our hormones and our immune system. So that's really what I do. And I, I taught for many years at a holistic nutrition college here in Sonoma County. And, um, and I, and I, now I have a lot of programs and things that I do out in the world just to keep sharing the good word of nutrition and help people to find their health and their vitality so they can live their best life. Perfect. Now, um, it's quite interesting, isn't it? Because when I was younger than I am now, much younger, in fact, I remember looking at books on shelves and the sort of in, in the hidden away corners of alternative therapeutic shops about how food could alter your your blood chemistry, how food could alter your mindset, how food could change your life, how you could manage difficult diseases and horrible conditions by using food. And I remember thinking, you know, that's there's an idea that will never catch on because I suppose I grew up in an era where food was it was it was becoming cheap it was becoming plentiful it was becoming mass produced it was becoming um a sort of disposable commodity food from all over the world was suddenly appearing itself and it was becoming packed with hormones and sugar and such like and and it's interesting actually that people of a certain age have almost been um um involuntarily corrupted haven't they and they've learned they've learned it's not that they've learned bad habits, it's that they've had bad habits foisted on them in a certain sort of way. Oh, totally. I mean, I talk about that a lot. And, you know, I'm a child of the 70s. And so, and I'm also one of seven children. Wow. So my mom was the perfect target market for the convenience food that really poured in at that time, you yeah. know, because... I mean, I have one child, she had seven, I don't know how she did it, but you know, that's a lot of food prep and cooking. And so the convenience and along with, you know, getting women to also go back to work made it just seem so easy. And all of those, you know, quote unquote, convenient foods are also very highly addictive and, you know, being made in a laboratory and being made to turn on all of our dopamine receptors and, kick up our cravings and and wanting for more and getting into this more excitatory place in the brain. Um, you know, it's for some people then coming to whole foods might feel boring, might feel not very flavorful. We might not have the taste buds or the desire to have things that are more bitter or astringent or, you know, rather than just salty or sweet or whatever the, those combinations are. So it's definitely something that we, as a, as a culture, as people, we kind of have to, we're learning and we're coming back to our roots. And the other thing is, you know, when I first wanted to become a nutritionist, one of my friends said to me, what are you thinking? There's, there's no, who sees a nutritionist? How are you going to make any money? How are you going to, and I hadn't even thought of that. I just had the passion I knew. And I said, whoa, maybe he's right. Maybe 
people don't go to see a nutritionist. So I actually veered down a slightly different path right then. I I got into Pilates and movement because that was kind of popular at the time. And I did do that for 10 years. But as soon as I got certified, I started studying the nutrition because that was really where my passion was. And I, you know, I've seen in my journey for, you know, 12, 15 years, how it was definitely kind of a grassroots thing. And now it is so mainstream. Now we are really getting it. We're, and we're even getting the environmental impacts of our food choices. And it's, and we're really seeing a much bigger, more clear picture of how it all has, how it all works and how our food, you know, even our food choices and our, the foods that we're growing, whether it's animal, vegetable, omnivorous, whatever, that the health of the planet is such a reflection of the health of our, of, of humans and our own bodies as well. So it's, 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 really grown yeah it's, it is fascinating isn't it and um and in a way what's happening is there's a sort of return to the um more traditional values isn't there an understanding mm-hmm. of the need for um a more differentiated more diverse sort of but a simpler sort of range of foods and, and i was interested when you when you sort of talked about the the, the blandness of taste and I, I noticed that they're, they're attempting to take the bitterness taste out of walnuts at the moment, which is the very thing walnuts is good for you and helps reduce mm-hmm. the of dementia. And there's sort of a there's sort of this idea of actually making f- food almost you know almost oh, back to baby food, isn't it? Where everything is just bland tasted, and right. uh, and it's quite fascinating because. Um, I you, you notice the onset not just of this bland food but the, the rise of antibiotics and I just wonder if those two things are linked because it's almost as if one's destroying the other and at the end we're going to have no variety in our diet and we're going to have this need for antibiotics which is again going to wipe out the gut which means that we can have fewer fewer choices almost it's, it's almost like the food and the um, antibody, antibiotics industries are working together <laughs> Yeah, I mean, antibiotics have their place, but you know, we really need to be mindful of how much of them we use and when we use them. And again, <laughs> you know, that's part of my journey too. It was being on way too many of them as a child, which is kind of what put me in a position of regaining my health with food and sort of rebuilding that microbiome and you know, that's the other probably huge study of nutrition and health and in biology is the microbiome and the role it plays even just in our brain health and our mood and our sleep and all of the different moods we could have with depression and anxiety and that link between the gut brain. Um, So there are those two things at play and even the, the microbiome really helps us to break things down and you know, a major food source for the microbiome is fiber from plant foods. And it's usually in plant foods that we get those other flavors of the six flavors of food, which would be bitter, um, you know, primarily, which, you know, then we have all the fiber. So we do need that bitter food. And I'd say probably most people get the bitter from, you know, drinking a cup of coffee, <laughs> yeah. which actually coffee does have some good, um, you know, when you do, when you make a cup of coffee, you're going to get some of the smaller grounds in there, even if you don't really notice it. And that's actually food for the microbiome too. So, so, so let's let's unpack a few things if we if we may. Then, so you're using the word microbiome. Let's just assume um, treat me as an idiot for a second. So, just and um, it's a phrase that people bandy about. So, what what is the microbiome? 
So when, as we, um, I guess even just evolved as humans and as we grow from being babies, we grow with bacteria being completely present and a part of our life and everywhere in the world, like, you know, all around us, we don't even see it. So when we are in utero, um, we are starting to interact with our, the bacteria of our mother. And, you know, we used to think when we came out, we were completely sterile. Now we're thinking, okay, we've definitely interacted with with her microbiome. So there's something going on, but literally from as we go through the birth canal till, you know, when we begin breathing and, and eating and everything, we're building, our bacteria are coming into us and beginning to flourish and grow. And we have evolved with these bacteria. If you do a count, it's like for every 10 or every one cell of us, there's 10 of the bacteria. So they, you know, cell wise, they sort of outnumber us. And even in the gut, if you were to pull out all the microbiome and weigh it, um, it would be about three and a half pounds, which is also about the size of our brain or the, the you know, the weight of the brain. So we, we evolve with this, all this bacteria just flourishing. And, you know, sometimes children that are more colicky, they might have bacteria strains that are making them kind of colicky. It could be the balance. It could be maybe mom had a lot of bacteria or antibiotics and whatever. But basically, this bacteria starts flourishing and it flourishes throughout the entire body, but it really, the majority of it is in the GI tract. Like I said, about three and a half pounds. And that bacteria it does so many things. We don't even know all the things that it does, but one of the things it does is it educates our immune system. As our immune system begins to grow, right? Because we are, as we grow and all, everything is growing in the body. So is our immune system. It's, it's becoming educated. It's learning about different, you know, bacterias and viruses. It's building up an immunity, right? And the Bacteria is sort of teaching it how to regulate itself. And then. So, so, so let me just jump in here. You're telling me that that food system, that, that, that process that exists inside it is the thing that keeps us well. Absolutely. Yeah. The way we treat that actually directly affects our health, well being, and I'm guessing our cognitive and emotional states as well. Yes. Absolutely, because we have this constant interaction. So the the amazing thing is if you think about the lining of your gut, right? So if you think about food comes in one end, right? And it comes out the other end, that entire um like that entire tunnel or whatever is like plumbing. So you can think of it as it you've got your internal plumbing. And you know, when we have plumbing in our house, we do not want to have any leaks in it, right? We want it to be really intact. So that lining of the of our plumbing is our nervous system. It's a big part. Is our enteric coating a lot of our nerve endings there? That's why, like we call it, our second brain. It's and it's connected to the brain. And then we have our immune system mixed in there too. And then we have um, our microbiome. So all the bacteria living there too. And within that microbiome and bacteria is sort of a mucosal membrane which is protective. And so as we eat food. The bacteria is, you know, helping us to break down food and liberate minerals. And some of the bacteria even create some B vitamins. 
the immune system is there to protect us. If we eat something that is maybe we're allergic to or is a pathogen, the immune system is going to start releasing out molecules and we're going to you know, go after anything we need to go after. So it's this whole system that's working together. And, you know, again, if, if like we're on a lot of antibiotics, right. And it's killing off a lot of that bacteria, it's not necessarily going to kill everything. It's not going to kill yeasts. So they might, or funguses, so they might grow more. Um, so it just becomes this whole system of working together. And ultimately we want to have a little buffer between what's coming in from food and the immune system because 70% of our immune system is there. And we don't necessarily want it to be overactive because of all the food we're eating. We want it to have a little bit of a buffer. That's the microbiome and the mucosal cells. And that's, you know, again, if we're regulating our stress response, if we're eating foods that are in harmony with our body that we're not having all these allergies to, then we're going to have a better buffer than if we're you know, running on four hours of sleep and, you know, drinking tons of coffee and not eating good food and, you know, being really stressed out and maybe eating processed foods that we have an allergy to. We don't have that same buffer. The the, the, my, the immune system is going to respond. And sometimes we can breach that and we all of a sudden have a, a leak in our plumbing. And then the immune system really goes haywire. And then that's when when things kind of get out and become more systemic you know, it's going to circulate through the body and it's going to affect the body on a more, on a larger scale. And even that's when, you know, we might have more inflammation circling around the blood and we feel a little foggy brained and we might feel a little lower energy and maybe it feels like depression, right? So it's so much of it comes down to, okay, well, what are we eating and how are we nourishing ourselves and taking care of ourselves so that we don't run into those problems? Brilliant. And you've, I, I was going to ask you questions about leaky gut and inflammation. And you're a genius. You've already answered those. That's fantastic. <laughs> but, but you've raised an interesting point here because you've talked about the impact that stress has on the microbiome and on you and such like. And you know, we all understand that. But is there anything we can eat that helps us deal with stress? Is there a, a nutritional approach to stress management, in other words? Mm-hmm. I mean, one of the things is no matter what you're eating, if you can be mindful when you're eating, um, and allow your your parasympathetic nervous system to kind of turn on. So it's like I call it the well, I don't other people call it too, but I call it the rest and digest system. If you can be mindful when you're eating, what's going to happen is you are going to turn on more of your digestive juices, and again, that's going to create more of the mucosal lining, more of the enzymes, and all of the acids, everything you need for digestion. So you're going to create more of that protective lining and you're going to be able to get more out of your food. So, you know, a lot of us are really busy and sometimes, you know, we're on our way to a meeting, eating our lunch in the car as we're driving, or we're, we don't stop work and we're eating and working on the computer, whatever that is. um, That's not you know, so no matter what we're eating, we're going to get more value out of it if we're sitting down and taking some breaths. We're not in fight or flight because I mean, when you're driving your car and eating, you're in you're sympathetic because you got to make sure you don't crash. Yeah. <laughs> so even though you don't doesn't feel stressful, it's you're in fight or flight. Yeah. You're not going to have a lot of digestive juices coming out right during that time. So that's number one. Uh-huh. And then number two, you know, again, if we think about 
like rebuilding that lining. Um, you know, that's if, if somebody doesn't have a lot of lining and they needing to repair often cooked foods and soups and broths and things like that can be really healing foods mm -hmm. in their more simple form, you know, and, and even lightly cooked is good. And then fibrous foods that contain a lot of, because a lot of the fiber in vegetables, we actually can't break down so much and utilize, but our, but that is total food for our microbes. So they're eating it and it's strengthening, strengthening the lining because they actually, they actually eat the fiber. They turn the fiber into fats and then the fats are immediate fuel for the lining of the, the, small intestine and large intestine, which is really cool. Right. So, so, in, so actually, if we're observing um, uh, bloating or stomach pains or um, constipation or the opposite, actually, that's a sign that our gut is out of sync. And, and this is why we often talk about stress, isn't it? So what you're saying is taking time, slowing down, reducing that fight or flight thing allows the it almost gives it sounds like you're saying that it gives this the digestive system time to yes. actually do what it needs to do in order to help protect you exactly exactly and i have a really great story i can tell that just brings this all together so oh, go on. yeah go on tell me tell me tell yeah me. so i was at a i was giving a talk on basically the microbiome it's a talk i call food mood and fermentation and I was showing a picture of all of the foods that are high in prebiotics, which is the food for the microbiome. So things like jicama and asparagus and onions and garlic and things like that. Yeah. And so when I had that slide up, this one young woman in the audience said, oh yeah, I had SIBO and I couldn't eat any of those because it, it, I couldn't eat them because it just hurt and I knew it. And SIBO stands for small intestinal bacterial overgrowth. And basically it's like the right bacteria that our body's used to having, but it's in the wrong place. It's in the small intestine. So the small intestine is really skinny and it's going to produce all this off gassing and it's going to create bloat where we're not used to having it. The air gets trapped in there and then, you know, the cells get arrested and they can't move the food the same way. So people get constipated and then they have, you know, the opposite and they'll have diarrhea and they'll be bloated and really uncomfortable. So she said, I had SIBO, I couldn't eat those at all. She said, but I got rid of it and now I can. And I said, oh, great. And I just moved on with my talk. And at the end of the talk, I went and I found her because I want to know what did you do for your SIBO? Because I have a lot of clients that have it and I'm, I love getting, you know, people's anecdotal stories so I can, you know, cause I, those could be pearls for me to pass on to my clients. So she said, well, I was, I was really broke and I, so I couldn't really go see and do a lot of supplements and this and that. And, you know, I, I didn't know what to do. And I also didn't want to take anything cause my gut was so wrecked and I was in so much pain. I was just afraid to take anything. She said, so I started researching and I went down this rabbit hood hole about breath. And I realized that the deep abdominal breathing could be helpful for me. So I just studied it and I started practicing my breath a lot. And that's how I healed my SIBO. And I was like, oh, MG, that was amazing for me to hear. And it totally resonated. 
And I was working, well, and I still do at a clinic at the time. So I went in and I shared, I shared that with all the doctors because I thought, you know, we're seeing this a lot when people have digestive distress. And our breath is often so shallow. Yeah. And, you know, with your deep abdominal breathing, number one, it's sort of, it's sort of a massage for the GI tract, right? When we're really breathing, we're moving things along with our breath. And we're also, um, that breath is also oxygenating the body more. And, you know, bacteria, they are anaerobic. They don't thrive with a ton, ton of oxygen. So you're even oxygenating your system more. And, you know, so, so I started telling my clients, and I still do, any client that I think can benefit from this who has those symptoms, I tell them the story. And almost everybody I've told, a light bulb goes off and they, they really get it. And that becomes a big part of their healing journey. Because for some people, you know, and again, especially my clientele, a lot of times people are eating a lot of good things. Like they really are trying but there's some missing link and it's that stress piece. It's that, you know, it's like, oh, I'm, I'm eating great food, but I'm rushing to eat it in between clients or I'm right. There's just, instead of really opening up, creating the space, sitting down and nourishing yourself in a way that is really, um, you know, nourishing and allows the body to receive what we're putting in. Um, and, and just one last thing. So the first person that I told about this, she says, you know, I've been struggling. She was a new client. She said, I've been struggling with this for about three years. And I think I have this thing called SIBO too. And she said, but there were about nine months where I didn't have any symptoms. And that's when I was doing yoga, like four or five times a week. And the yoga teacher really did a lot of breathing exercises in the class. So again, there's that, like the breath is the quickest way to get to and tap into our parasympathetic nervous system focus deeper longer inhales and exhales will really get us there yeah and i'm pleased you said that because in terms of the work we do in on the psychological side of things exactly the same advice as that and it's not as the the belly breathing or the abdominal breathing or the diaphragmatic breathing whichever whichever phrase you want to use mm -hmm. it, it is so important so um i'm, I'm really very pleased to say that so so when, when you talked earlier about blood sugar, and um, and I think you know the blood sugar is quite fascinating, isn't it? Can you sort of unpack that little bit for us and the importance of this idea of blood sugar? Yeah. So, blood sugar is part of, I'll say, our homeostatic balance in the body. So. Our bodies, all of us as humans, our bodies are always trying to regulate and become homeostasis, right? In the sense that we're all striving for our blood sugar to be under 100. The body's doing that all the time. We're striving for being the same temperature. We're all about 98.7, right? Our yeah. blood pH is the same. So that, that's something that makes us human to have a lot of these things. And the main drivers of keeping us in homeostasis are our endocrine glands or our, um, and these are the glands that release hormones that are like messengers telling the body to do something, telling, bringing the body back into balance. So that being said, these, um, our blood sugar balance is, is a part of that whole, um, system. So when we eat food, our blood sugar rises and because it rises and it comes out of that normal range that we're striving for, 
we're going to release insulin from our pancreas and insulin is going to bring that, um, the sugars that we've eaten um, or the glucose into our cells and that's going to lower our blood sugar. So this is a one thing, you know, that as a result of our food. So, you know, I really look at blood sugar balance as hormonal balance. It's part of the, all of our hormones, like our estrogen and testosterone and adrenals and our, you know, melatonin and things that come from the, from the glands in the head and our thyroid, right? right? They're all working together to keep us balanced. And so blood sugar, right, is a direct result of what and how and when and where, all the details of how we eat and, and how much we eat. Yeah. So the thing about blood sugar today is that, again, going back to, you know, all those convenience foods and, you know, high carb foods and processed foods, we're getting a lot more sugar in the diet than the body is used to handling. evolutionary. And so there's an epidemic of high blood sugars. And so what happened, if you think about it, well, what's the problem with maybe my blood sugar being over a hundred? Well, what the problem is, is then that blood, like blood is the way that every single cell and tissue and system in the body gets nourished. So the food we eat gets all broken down and through the digestive tract. And then it, you know, a lot of it even goes to the liver to get kind of recalibrated into it turned into us basically, especially our proteins and they move through the body. So if I'm eating foods that, uh, or if I'm eating foods and my body can't handle all the sugar and my blood sugars stay high, my blood is going to become thick. Those sugars are going to start attaching onto my red blood cells. And it's going to be harder for, for the blood to carry all the nutrients to all of my tissues. Like it really should. And, um, it's going to be harder for my heart to pump that thicker blood. My, my heart wants to, to pump water, not honey, right? So that's going to be harder. And then, you know, if, if the blood is thicker and sugar, more sugary, it's going to be harder for the kidneys to filter. So it becomes that just the, that one thing of blood sugar being high starts to flood into all the other systems and tissues in the body and it becomes a problem. And that's, you know, one of the problems with diabetes is then the blood can't get into the little tiny capillaries like behind the eyes. And so people start losing their vision or can't get into the capillaries in the extremities, like in the pinkies, you know, of the hands or the toes. And then they start losing feeling and, you know, then the blood is sweet and wounds have a harder time healing. So there's just, and even Alzheimer's is very directly related with blood sugar issues. So I always say like, we can't control all the stress in our life because I think of our hormones as helping us to deal with whatever stress it is, whether it's external or internal and stress, even being like, I'm hungry. It's not like that stresses us out, but the body needs fuel or I'm cold. Okay. I need to rev up. My body revs up and I also put a jacket on. So we can't control everything. We can't control, you know, whatever is happening in our life all the time, but can we control our blood sugar and really try to keep that in balance with, you know, what, how, and when we eat? Interesting. And so can we do, so obviously we can cut out sugar. I mean, that's an obvious thing, but is, mm-hmm. is, is, and that seems, and I mean, there's lots of sort of diets that have low or no sugars and the keto diet and all that sort of stuff. But if we just want to eat, have a sort of a balanced, normal lifestyle, um, is there anything else we can do to sort of balance that blood sugar? Yeah. I mean, a couple things I'll say is, is one of them is 
to eat meals rather than snacks, right? Oh. Because if we're snacking, I know for me when I'm snacking, it's not, it's usually on carbs and it doesn't always fulfill my hunger and then I need more, right? And that's going to be calling on insulin all the time and that can create a problem. Yeah. Um, so eating meals and, sex, and then eating balanced meals, you know, so this is something that I kind of one of my primary foundational teachings is, um, and I'll, I'll do it in like one minute for you, but I also have a little ebook that you can get more information on, on my website. But basically when you have a meal, if you, if you take your hands and you put them together as if you're going to, maybe someone's going to pour water in your hands, you're going to bring your hands under the ground and, and let your dog drink out of your hands. Right. Yeah. So you have one palm, you want to make sure you have protein with each meal. That's a blood sugar stabilizer. So you know, quarter of your plate is your protein. The other quarter of your plate, so your other palm would be a starch, right? That's your starchy carbohydrate. Sometimes if it's vegetarian, then, you know, those two kind of mix together. But, you know, a quarter of your plate being starch is a lot different than like a huge heaping plate of pasta or, you know, I don't know, like a big burrito that has a tortilla and rice and beans and all kinds of things. Chips. Oh, chips, exactly. And the chips. Yeah. Right. I can't forget about the chips. <laughs> yeah. right. um, and then, so, you know, so we're mindful of our, of how much of the quantity of the starch, because that's what turns into glucose, that food group. And, you know, you want it to be as whole as you can. So you want to go for, you know, the whole beans, the whole grains, the whole roots, rather than, you know, they, the chips and the breads and the pastas. And then we've got half of our plate. So that would be wiggling your fingers and that is your greens and your non-starchy vegetables that don't contain a lot of sugar, but they contain a lot of minerals and fibers. And they, they just help us to stay full and satisfied. And, um, and they also have, you know, they're, they, they're like the superfoods, everyday superfoods. And then if you just wiggle your fingers or your thumbs, excuse me, that would be your, uh, your fats. You know, you want to have some healthy fats with each meal. So basically when you sit down to a meal, it's just about saying, okay, what's my protein? What's my starch? What's my greens? What's my fats? And, you know, when I work with people, I might say, okay, let's get more of this and less of this, or let's, you know, get more of these foods. But in general, as sort of a rule of thumb, you know, that's an ideal and it's very traditional in a sense. That's an ideal way to say, okay, what am I going to have for this meal? You know, whether you're eating two meals or three meals or, you know, more, whatever, it's just having that balance. It's, it's really interesting, isn't it? I mean, I remember looking at some research on aging and, um, and what they said was, if you want to live 10 more meaningful years, cut the amount of food you eat by a third. Because mm-hmm. actually, as human beings, we don't just eat the wrong things. We eat far too much as well. Mm-hmm. And I think that's fascinating. We often, we often talk in the UK about the fact that, that during the war, um, there was less incidence of, I mean, more people were dying, obviously, because of the, it was wartime. But actually, people on the whole were healthier. And they, didn't, they had fewer um, gastrointestinal problems and fewer heart attacks and such like. Because actually, they were eating small portions and, and, the, and things like fats were um, monitored and people were actually growing more, or more of their own food. And, it, and, it, and it's odd, isn't it, in a funny sort of way that what we're really doing is saying, we need to go back to a slightly more basic, a slightly more um, um, less well, a less a less processed way of eating. Now, the the criticism that's often thrown around here is it's actually cheaper to eat badly, and it's more tasty to eat badly. 
But your point is yes. fascinating about mindfulness because you find that if you eat something that's very sugary, that if you're very if you're very conscious about what you're eating, you realise actually how chemical that taste is rather than rather than sweet. It's actually quite a metallic taste, isn't it? Absolutely, so, absolutely. And and I don't know what it's like over there in the UK, but it's really interesting when you think about the cost of food because in yeah. the US. Um, most of the processed foods are cheap because they're so highly subsidized. Yeah. So we're actually, and then you think about what, what health conditions are costing. And then you look at the, you know, the healthcare system. So we're, we're kind of paying for it in other ways, even if we're, it's cheap at the register, it's very costly what it's, you know, when it comes down to healthcare costs and all that. Yeah. No, it's absolutely fascinating. Oh, blimey. Mary sure I could talk to you all night, and I, but I want to be respectful of your time, and I've already taken more than it should. If, if you mentioned an ebook and you mentioned a website, so if people would like to engage with you or see some of your work, um, how, could they, how can they get in touch with you? Yeah, absolutely. So my business is called Occidental Nutrition. So OccidentalNutrition.com, that's O-C-C-I-D-E-N-T-A-L. Um, and that means of the West. And that's actually the town that I live in, Occidental. Oh. Um, and on there, I do have an ebook and it's called The Breakfast Report. And it just talks about, you know, to honor those hormones that I was just talking about. What is the right, the best breakfast? Or, you know, whenever you're breaking your fast, if you're intermittent fasting, what's the best way to break that fast to honor your metabolic hormones? And then that will keep you in touch with me. Um, I do a lot. I have a YouTube channel also called Occidental Nutrition and a Facebook channel called that. I do a lot of cooking videos and I do have a online blood sugar, pre-diabetes um, uh, online course coming up soon. So you could find out about that too. Well, if you can hear some typing going on, it's because I'm currently downloading your ebook. Oh, good. <laughs> good. Good old read of that. And um, so you definitely got one extra download. That's absolutely fascinating. And this is such an Ah, it's such an important and, um, well, it's a fundamental subject, isn't it? You know, it is. What we put in our body, you know, we are what we eat, aren't we? And I think, I, I really want to thank you for that description of the microbiome, because it's, it's actually quite hard to grasp it, but you've really brought that to life for me. So I really, really appreciate the time you spent with us today. You're so welcome. It's a pleasure. Thank you for having me. You know, that's brilliant. Thank you so much. And um, you take care. You too. Hi, everybody. I hope you found that episode useful and interesting. Feedback is always welcomed, and if you are in the mood to subscribe to us or even leave a comment on iTunes or Stitcher, that would be amazing. If you want to suggest ideas or even people you would like me to interview, then reach out to us at qedod.com forward slash contact. As I said earlier, you can go to qedod.com forward slash podcast for show notes or follow the links. And you can go to qedod.com forward slash extras to access offers, tools and resources, including free articles and ebooks. For those of you that would be interested in supporting our work and contributing more proactively, you can find our new Patreon page at patreon.com. Then search for Resilience Unraveled. I look forward to being in your ear next time around. Take care.